Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the education and stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Visit brewerydb.com today and be the first to explore this all-new experience. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. Archaeologists have found tools that they believe were used for making barrels that, that date to like 19,000 years ago. Barrels are sexy, and to be able to write barrel aged on your label is, is worth its weight right there in ink. Barrel aging is an investment, and it's an investment that pays off very well. We know that malt, hops, yeast, and water make beer, but these aren't the only ingredients that make truly inspired brew. My next guest gives us a full overview of the time, talent, craft, and barrels that have inspired our beverages for tens of thousands of years. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe, and one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 102 of Good Beer Matters with Matt Albrecht of River Drive Cooperage. come to the close of this long series really exploring the ingredients that go into our beer this is one that i absolutely love but it's not one of the main four that uh, that you expect that go into beer um but this came about with the thought process of i, I just love barrel aged beers and while i was at cbc i met a uh, someone who who has a uh, a barrel company and does a lot of education i thought we need to dive into this so matt thank you very much for coming on to the good beer matters podcast this is going to be a fun one for sure can't wait. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just start uh, from the beginning, as they say. Um, tell us, uh, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Matt Albrecht, and uh, I own a cooperage, River Drive Cooperage. Um, essentially, we specialize in used barrels and oak, uh, buying, selling uh, used barrels, new barrels as well. Um, repairing, reconditioning, uh, so on and so forth. And so it's, you know, everything from a, a brand new barrel in all sorts of shapes and sizes, um, from, you know, tiny little one liter, five gallon, all the way up to hundreds of liters. Um, uh, but as well as oak alternatives and adjuncts, you know, chips, cubes, stave inserts, so on and so forth. Really, we try to be all encompassing when it comes to wood aging. Uh, and not only supplying the material, but also the resources and the education to help our customers and our clients and friends really make the most out of their aging programs. 
And I knew, I knew you were the guy to talk to about this stuff because I wanted, I want to talk about how barrels are made. I want to talk about how barrels are maintained, which are two different conversations by my understanding. Um, and, and how can you, and how can you get those barrel aged flavors if you don't have a barrel? So there's, these are all things I want to talk about, but, um, but can I ask you to talk about the history and the impact of barrels to mankind for the past, I, it, well, by my understanding, last, you know, 2000 years or so, what, but can you give us a little brief on, uh, on, on barrels and throughout history? Sure. I mean, the, the quick and down and dirty of it is archaeologists have found barrel making tools. Now, barrels are made of wood, so obviously wood does not last forever. Um, but the tools uh, commonly used to make barrels um, do. So archaeologists have found tools that they believe were used for making barrels that, that date to like 19,000 years ago. Um, and, and barrels sort of as we know it today date back you know easily to Roman times, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories. Uh, one of my favorites is, you know, the Romans, you know, barged their way, uh, taking over a village like Romans do and and realized that the local villagers were using palm wood uh, pots instead of clay or instead of um, animal skin or, or bladder. And of course, when you knock over a wooden uh, pot, it doesn't smash into a million pieces like a clay pot does. And that's one of the uh, one of the uh, educational aspects that the Romans, I guess, uh, stole from that village as they uh, had their crusades. But, uh, you know, like you said, barrels have been around uh, as long, nearly as long as mankind has been around. You know, before the days of of pallets and cardboard boxes and Amazon Prime, uh, it was the wooden barrel that, that moved and shipped everything in various sizes. And that's why they're the shape they are. So you could fill it up, put the lid on it, and then roll it down the ramp onto the boat or down the dock and get your goods, uh, you know, transported. Um, and really the only modern improvement, and this is, this is what I find absolutely fascinating, is the single only modern improvement to the barrel that we see today compared to how it's been in history is the metal bands. Uh, you know, we discovered iron ore and we started making steel. And so now uh, these barrels have steel bands on them. And other than that, that's that's just about it. And that's really one of the things that really uh, fascinated me in this industry is I, I can't think of anything else out there that ha is virtually unchanged over thousands of years since its inception. Well, and one of the things that I kind of geeked out upon, I mean, you know, most of us take barrels for granted, but I mean, before the advent of giant shipping containers, the, these barrels were shipping containers that held not just liquid, but just, you know, goods. So you could, like you said, you could, you could roll it by hand and get stuff where they needed to go. But um, I got to tour the uh, Rogue Cooperage uh, out there in Newport, Oregon, and um, and and you know, and they were sharing that you're still using cattail reeds as the spacers in between the wood uh, to in, instead of more modern, you know, like silicone type of gaskets or something like that. That you're still using all these natural materials. Is that is that something that you're seeing uh, throughout the world of, of Cooperage? Exactly. Um, you know, that's that's exactly true because it works, you know, and, that, and that's the cool thing with barrels is there's so much of it. It just it's always worked and there's no way to there's no reason to really 
uh, change it. Now, there are more modern ways of dealing with things. You know, a lot of people sell uh, wax for plugging holes and covering holes. But like you mentioned with the educational aspect, we, we do a lot of cooperage classes teaching, you know, brewers, distillers and winemakers how to maintain, manage and repair their barrels. And I'm always proud to say, you know, in the in the full you know, in the full day course that we do, never do we touch wax because we like to show people how to do the 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 old fashioned way. And it's not old; it is old, but but it still works. It's still it's the right way. It's it's the actual way. Instead of patching a hole with a band aid, i.e., the wax, you know, we like to show them how to get the tools out and really fix it, um, just like a, any a cooper would you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, and it it is just amazing to me that in this day and age, when when we're sending you know people to space and rovers to Mars, uh, but the the barrel has stayed the same and and is still being used, uh, arguably more so than it has been in 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 the recent years. Um, and, and really, nothing has. There's been no need for evolution. It was just it was just perfect. Exactly, which is amazing. Um, now, and thank you for that kind of like history lesson. Can you give us an overview of how uh, barrels are made? Now, th- that's something else that is is kind of interesting to me, and it brings in a lot of like math and geometry and 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 crafting. But um, give us a sense of how barrels are made, if you if you would. I mean, generally, it starts out with with premium premium lumber. Um, you know, this isn't stuff that you're going to find at Home Depot. Uh, primarily, American white oak is is what most barrels here in the U.S. are made overseas. For, uh, French oak and Hungarian oak is quite common. Um, but but it's, it's an oak. It's primarily an oak. And this is because oak uh, meets three key components to making a barrel. Uh, it doesn't leak very much through the grain. It happens to taste pretty darn good when you age stuff in it, and it's not poisonous to anybody. <laughs> uh, there are a few woods out there that would, I believe, a walnut is one of them, that would make a great barrel, but unfortunately there's a small percentage of the population that's deathly, deathly allergic to, to walnut. Yeah. Um, so uh, that that's really where it comes down to, and, and going back to what I mentioned about, you know, it doesn't leak, that's why you need – um, you, you need literally top grade premium, premium lumber in order to build a barrel. Uh, and then you have to mill it in a certain way. You have to do what they call quarter sawn, which is essentially they take a round log and they split it into three triangles and then uh, four triangles. And, um, then they lay those triangles back on the sawmill and, and, you know, with the point sticking up and then they kind of cut them from there. And what that does is it, it's cutting the grain of the log in a certain way that when you then build a barrel out of it, you have a far less likelihood of, of moisture seeping through, through the wood. Now, wood, wood trees are, are, you know, they, they naturally draw moisture up from the ground, up through the trunks, you know, moisture, Mm -hmm. it's a highway of, of, for water, water and sap and all the, all the oils and stuff that in the tree, and that's why uh, with with the white oak, those you know those highways, um, they have sort of uh, uh, valves in them per se that help um, control the flow. And when you can combine the specific makeup w- of the oak 
with the quarter sawn technique of the sawmill, you end up with a board that is very durable, very rugged, uh, will um, allow you to bend it when when heated and and make the barrel out of it, um, limited cracking, and then doesn't leak, tastes great. So it's it's kind of the the best of all worlds, and that's why it's it's a it's the choice wood for building barrels, building barrels that are going to be used to hold liquids that are going to then be consumed. Um, you know, barrels, especially back in the old days, that were just simply made to transport dry goods. You know, a bunch of nails or a couple sacks of potatoes. Uh, obviously, those don't need to be watertight, and therefore the tolerances and the wood used for that is is a whole another story. But we're talking just liquid tight barrels for. Uh, holding uh, stuff such as beer, wine, and spirits. And back in the day, you mentioned you know they'd also use barrels to um, to move dry goods, you know nails and grain and whatever. Uh, would they still use oak, or would they use uh, other lesser uh, woods for that that um, that need? Uh, you know, at that point, um, sort of, uh, it's a cross between uh, whatever worked and whatever was available. Um, mm. So ash, um, ash was a pretty popular one uh, back then, um, and other woods such as hemlock and stuff like that. Gotcha. And and so today, we're not using barrels to really transport goods. We're using them to uh, age whiskey and wine and, and beer. Is there anything else that barrels are used that most people are not aware of? Uh, well, I mean, primarily today, it's like you said, it's the static aging. You know, the barrels are just sitting on a, on a rack somewhere holding liquid. Um, but there are some people that are, you know, in the, in the, and the alcohol industry that are using them for their primary fermentation and secondary fermentation. Yeah. And then they're using the open top fermenters, the, the hundreds of liters, you know, these big tanks. Um, and they're using them as fermentation vessels instead of a giant stainless steel take their tank. They're using the wood. Hmm. Um, and you know, another, uh, concept to kind of lead we're, we're flowing down this kind of, uh, highway of knowledge in a very efficient way. Um, you, you started talking about aging. And um, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm mildly aware of, but I don't really have a, a good grasp of it is the concept of ocean aging that I'm aware that they uh, will often do that with whiskeys and less so for beer and, and, and such. But what exactly is ocean aging? Human beings have used the power of storytelling for millennia. We use stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to lead better lives. If you're a business in the beer industry, we can use the power of story to better serve your customers. At Mountain Sea Media, I help you tell your story and keep your brand on top of mind. Mountain Sea Media is your resource for engaging multimedia beer content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to discuss your next project. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Well, and let me preface that there's there's a whole bunch of um, there's so many variables when it comes to aging in a barrel, um, more than you can count. Uh, you know, starting with the tree. Literally starting with the tree that 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 grew the log that that the barrel was made from, um, you know, you go back and you look at that oak tree that you know may be sitting at the the top of a hill 
in in rocky soils and is battered by the weather its whole life for a hundred years compared to you know and then it drops an acorn that rolls down the hill into the nice nice valley with nice nice uh nice topsoil and protected from the weather and gets all the water and nutrients and, and an oak tree grows there you know those two trees are are related but also they're so different and the wood then it, you know it grows different in, in a way and the compounds and the tannins and all those all the stuff within the wood is just enough different that you know they'll create two different products when you then char them toast them you know, season them and fill them full of so, a whiskey. So, so you're talking about the terroir of just the wood itself. Oh well. Uh, so what I'm what I'm referring to is that there's just there's so many variables and, and leading up to ways of aging, like you mentioned, ocean aging, and you know there are and and you know I'm I'm not I'm not here to make any claims as to what's uh, some pretty creative marketing and what's uh, some really cool <laughs> aging techniques mm-hmm. or vice versa, um, but you know. At the end of the day, whiskey is full of really cool stories. The whiskey industry is full of so many cool stories behind everything that's made. The concept behind ocean aging is that you you take a barrel that normally just sits static in a, in a warehouse somewhere, and and you put it on a boat that is then traveling the seas, and that whiskey is constantly moving. First off, the whiskey is exposed to air with a high, you know, very humid air with a lot of salinity in it. Um, So mostly what that means, what that does is the more humid the outside air, the less likely you you are to lose whiskey due to evaporation, all Mm. about the vapor pressure. If you age a barrel in a very dry environment, it's going to evaporate faster through the wood. So that is one thing. Plus the fact that that whiskey is constantly moving, splashing around, up and down in the waves, you know, that also definitely... Uh, has has the ability to change the character. There are some companies who you know say that they pl- play really loud music with a really heavy bass <laughs> in their warehouses <laughs> to kind of jostle the barrels that way. And we work with a company down in the Cayman Islands who fills their barrel full of rum and then they sink them 42 feet underwater where they're moored and they are sit there and they have a, a covering on them so the seawater doesn't actually see, uh, seep in. But um, but then they just sort of, uh, you know, gently sort of, you know, get tossed in the current uh, back and forth. So, like I said, you know, there's a lot of cool stories that come from all this stuff. And um, and, you know, hey, which part of it is is for the marketing, which part of it actually does something, you know, that that's for everybody to, to, you know, to make their own decisions on. But but it all does at the end of the day, it all does have uh, some effect. Well, and, and there, you know, and I'm a sucker for a good story. As long as the whiskey or the beer, whatever it is we're drinking is good, then the story just kind of makes it that much better. So, um, and, and, and being a diver, you know, I'd love to know where those rum barrels are and, you know, go down and, and, uh, go down and, and kind of just visit. Um, but, uh, but just the, the notion of that, uh, I, you know, the way that I've heard it described before is there is some science behind it with the pressure and you're talking about humidity and salinity and all that stuff. And, 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 and if we're talking about all these different variables, the, just the, the, the tree itself, there's, I imagine there's gotta be some, something to it. And, uh, but bottom line is, as long as it's good, it's, then the story's great. 
right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of boils down to an, a very wise man once told me, the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I find that very true. The more that I think I know, the more I realize, oh, I don't know, squat. But uh uh, but the, the, that's just because this whole world of beer, of barrels, of spirits is just so wide and so vast that um, there's so much knowledge. There's so many stories, which is why you're here on it, because you, you've got some knowledge and stories to tell. So I appreciate it. But appreciate the, being here. Well, in the so let, let's let's kind of follow that. Okay, we've we've already ocean aged our our spirits, our beer in 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 the barrels. But so let's talk about barrels as an ingredient. We've got malt, we've got hops, we've got water, we've got yeast, we've got adjuncts, we've got anything else we might throw in there. But how do barrels act as an ingredient and add flavor to to beer and, and other beverages? So I think that that's one of the really cool thing about barrels is it's not just a vessel to hold your product, but like you said, it is it's it's also in just as many ways an ingredient and an ingredient that you know almost needs to be planned for and around just like you would your hops and your 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 uh, grains. So. Um, and and you know talk about variables you know that 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 just brings on a whole new world of variables because you've got your new barrels that are going to impart certain flavors you've got your fresh emptied bourbon barrels that depending on their age whether they're only a few years old half dozen years old or 10 year 10 20 years old are going to impart their own flavors and then you've got all of the other barrels out there the rum tequila uh, you know, scotch, brandy, red wines, white wines, fortified wines. So you're going to, it all depends on the history of the barrel as to what you're going to be getting from it. And it, and it does, and it varies and it all, and it all starts with, you know, that, that obviously that brand new barrel, uh, which is rarely used in the brewing side, but occasionally it is, you know, you're going to get a lot of those um, typical uh, just, Charry, smoky, um, oaky, you know, woody, coconutty flavors from it. And then you use a freshly emptied bourbon barrel, which is, you know, very common in the brewing industry. And the nice thing is the bourbon already took care of a lot of the, the spiciness, the smokiness um, aspects of the oak. So you're left kind of with more of those nice, smooth, um, vanillins uh and 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 furfurals and stuff like that the more the sweetness the smoothness um of the wood that that really does a great job on beer but you know you use a younger barrel uh to a middle-aged barrel as i call it you know let's say two to two to five years old and you're gonna get more of that sweetness but as you start to use an older barrel keep in mind the longer we age in a barrel the more we extract out of it and take away from it. Mm -hmm. So you start to get towards your older bourbon barrels, eight, 10, 12 years or more, and your flavors, you're going to have less of a bouquet. You're going to have more of the subtle, smooth, uh, rounded flavors that are going to sort of, and and the same is for whiskey. A younger whiskey is going to have, you know, a very young whiskey is certainly going to be a little bit hot and spicy, a middle-aged whiskey. And by middle age, I mean that four to six years ish is going to be more of that, 
uh, more of the sweet vanilla. And then as you as you get older, your more all those flavors kind of start to blend and round out and smooth out. Um, so and and same goes for when you're using that barrel with your beer. Now, when we're talking using other barrels such as tequila, rum, and stuff like that, keep in mind that most rum and tequila barrels, including many scotch barrels and brandy barrels, they're all old bourbon barrels. That goes back to the law that says you can only use a barrel once for bourbon. In order to age bourbon, it's got to be put into a brand new Hmm. charred white oak container. Um, Notice I said container, not barrel, but a barrel is a container. So – so, you know, the bourbon industry goes through a lot of barrels, one and done, and then those barrels get sold off to so many other makers um, to, to put stuff in. So if we have a barrel that, you know, was a bourbon barrel for a number of years, then got sent down to the Caribbean to age rum for a number of years, you know, the reality is by the time it makes it back up to a brewer to use, the wood aspect is really not going to be, may not be that strong we may not be getting a tremendous amount of the wood flavors from it but instead we're going going to be getting a lot of the really nice flavor profiles of that dark aged rum um so we get a lot of that sweetness um so on and so forth from from the rum that's left behind sort of you know impregnated into the wood well, and when we're talking about barrels as an ingredient, um, of course, what we're we're also really kind of uh, talking about that it's not just barrels. There's other, uh, I'm going to call them ingredients that go along with the use of barrels that have to be accounted for. And one is time, and the other one is the microbiotics that uh, that uh, that exist in that barrel. And and assuming. Uh, all things about a barrel are 100% equal. There's still you're not going to get the same flavor out of two different barrels because of that. The 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 uh, I'm I'm going to say microbiotics is probably a better word for it. Um, all all the the bugs, the bacteria, and yeast that are in there that exist that are going to create their cultures and and create different flavors out of it. Um, and, and then that gets into the uh, maybe maybe a a third additional ingredient would be blending um, if we really want to get nerdy about it. But but these are all the things you're talking about. These you know hundreds of variables that go into barrel aging. These are these are just you know more on on top of that and other decisions that that brewers have to make once they get hold of that bourbon uh, aged barrel, that rum aged barrel, right? Exactly. And, you know, that's the thing is we have to understand that the microclimate inside every individual barrel is going to be different from every other individual barrel. And, you know, this goes back to, you know, uh, I'll use Jim Beam as an example. Jim Beam takes the same whiskey and they dump it in the same barrel and they pile them into the same warehouse. And out of that comes five, six, seven, eight different labels, different products, different SKUs. And the reason is, you know, if you've got a a below ground basement in your house and an attic in your house, I always ask people, what's the temperature difference between your attic and your basement in the middle of the summertime? Mm. And, and that's only two, three, four floors. Yeah. Um, And it's a, and, and you, you know, you're talking, you know, 50 plus degree differences in temperatures. So 
what happens is, you know, you have these seven, eight, nine story rick houses that the bourbon's aged in, and you've got your barrels that are all the way up on the top floor on the sunny side, and you've got your barrels that are all the way down on the bottom floor on the shady side. And those barrels are going to the microclimates inside those barrels are going to be completely different because of the heat and temperature and 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 humidity and all that. And same goes for a brewery. And you may not think of it, but if you're stacking barrels four or five tall in a brewery and your brewery, you know, goes through some fairly substantial temperature swings over the course of a day uh, or the week, um, you know, imagine what happens to those barrels that are on the top top row versus the ones that are by the floor. Um, and if your brewery's, you know, really warm all week long and then you shut down for the for the weekend and everything kind of cools down a little bit. We, we get a temp in a sealed barrel. Uh, we get a temperature, a pressure change of one PSI plus or minus for every 10 degrees in, in temperature change um, plus or minus. So when the barrel goes up by 10 degrees, it builds one PSI of pressure, which is substantial for a yeah. barrel. Um, and that's what is pushing and forcing a lot of the liquid further into the wood. And then as it cools down, it kind of squeezes that, that liquid back out. And that's what, you know, really creates um, a lot of that flavor, uh, you know, and draws a lot of those tannins and compounds out of the wood. So the barrels that are heating up and getting pressure, then cooling down over those cycles, more are going to have much different flavors in them versus the barrels that really don't have a lot of the temperature changes or as drastic or as as much. Uh, and, and then again, that's just one of the the many you know variables that we're going to see. Which you mentioned blending, and that's kind of why blending is is really key here, um, and time. So in terms of time. What you might actually notice if you ever walk down the, the liquor aisle in a grocery store or go into a liquor store, there are a lot of whiskey makers, bourbon and whiskey makers, that are no longer advertising the age of the spirit on the label. And the reality is age isn't always an indicator of quality or taste. Um, age is just a number. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. is. and. And I, and I say this to brewers a lot, too. Don't age based on the calendar. Age based on your sensory and your taste buds. Um, I don't care if it's in that barrel for a week or two. If it tastes exactly how you want it and you're proud to put your name on that label, take it out and bottle it. And if it's only in there for a short amount of time, hey, you can probably reuse that barrel. You know, but if a number of weeks and months goes by and it's still still building and getting better and better with every, you know, every week that goes by, um, then then so be it. Um, you know, when it's ready, it'll tell you and you'll know. And when you're proud to put your 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 name on that label, that's when it's time to empty the barrel. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I think about um you know, the, the times I've had, I, I do enjoy scotch and, you know, like a good example is, uh, trying Macallan 12 versus Macallan 18. It's like, you know, okay, Macallan 18 might taste a, a, maybe a tiny bit better by my palate, but I don't want to pay that bar tab. And I, I'll drink, I could, I could drink Macallan 12 easy, uh, over 18. And it was just that the number really didn't signify anything to me other than, um, you know, uh, a perception of value based upon marketing. I don't know that. So what you just said kind of validated what I have suspected for some time when it's done. It's and done. Keep it, 
keep in mind that that old whiskey too, as, as I mentioned earlier, the whiskey evaporates. We all have heard of the angel share. Oh, so yeah. the longer you hold a barrel, the less whiskey you have. And the longer you hold a barrel, the more it occupies your, your valuable real estate. So that's why old whiskey is expensive is because <laughs> – you know, when they filled that, so let's say, 53-gallon barrel 20 years ago, 18 years ago, they're, you know, they're only getting 10, 20 gallons out of the darn thing now, and they've and they've had had to sit on it for for 18, 20 years. So they've got to get their investment back somehow. They've got to make their money, and they have less liquid to do it on. So that liquid's got to be more expensive. And that's, you know, obviously there is a value perception as well in addition to, but but that's one of the biggest things. Um, is they've got less liquid to make to earn their their money back on, so that liquid has to be more expensive. And like I said, it doesn't mean that it's a better liquid than the other, but it doesn't mean it's not. And at that point, just like any fine wine, it it value it 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 you know it kind of boils down to would you have another glass or would you not? <laughs> is yeah, it good exactly. or is it not? Exactly. And 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 while it's it's there's a romantic notion of going to uh, Italy and and buying a bottle of fifty dollar wine to have for dinner, you know, on honestly, the 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 cheap quote unquote table wine that uh, a lot of those places serve are fantastic, and it's a lot less cheaper. And it it, it, it are you going to drink more? Do you want to drink more? Are you enjoying yourself? Do you like it? Yes or no? That's kind of what it really all comes down to. Um, uh, another kind of a little nerdy question, uh, just, just for the sake of uh, making sure everyone's on the same page with this, but we're talking about, uh, virgin, un- you talked about, uh, you know, virgin unused barrels that, uh, that, that, um, that, uh, uh, bourbon makers, uh, have to use brand new barrels. And then after that, then they get soaked in this and that, whatever. But at some point they become what is called neutral barrels. What exactly is a neutral barrel? A neutral barrel is pretty much a term that refers to a barrel that is no longer um, uh, providing any of the classic wood flavors and profiles to what's being put in it, meaning all of the tannins and the glycols and the furfurols and the vanillins, all of the stuff that makes that, – that comes – all of those flavors that come out of the wood, um, you know, they're all leached out. They're all leached out, so you're really not getting much flavor from the wood uh, is, is a neutral barrel. However, uh, just because you're not getting flavor from the wood, simply by merely using the barrel, you are going to get some very unique flavors from it that are very difficult to get in traditional you know, aging and stainless. And that's mostly due to the oxidation, the uh, the oxidative factor of of the fact that very small amounts of liquid can move evaporate out of the barrel, and very small amounts of oxygen can make their way into the barrel, and that micro oxygenation that's always a million dollar word that I'll never be able to pronounce <laughs> yeah. um, uh, will will have an effect on the flavor. So even though you're not getting the 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 typical wood characters from it you're still going to be getting stuff on top of you know whatever was uh previously in that barrel and or uh if we're talking you know wild and sour beers the the microbes that now inhabit the wood Um, because wood makes a fantastic home for microbes they're very comfortable in the pores of wood 
Well, and, and that kind of begs the conversation of, you know, just because, okay, the, the, you know, we talk about spent grain, but, you know, we know that grain has a life after brewing. Um, and, and so do barrels. Once they become neutral and you're not getting barrel flavor out of them anymore, you can still use them. And many breweries in the old world have been using the same breweries and fooders for centuries. Um, uh, and, uh, it, and it's that it's that microbiotic climate uh, culture population that is formed there that has given that barrel a a personality a unique um, f- flavor that then master blenders then can say I want a little bit of this I want a little bit of that um, to me I find that kind of fascinating here you know it's it's just like the the old school version of uh, recycle reduce and reuse right. Well, you know, not only that, but also, you know, you ever try and wash your grandmother's favorite cast iron uh, pot? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's been well seasoned for years. Or, or did you ever look inside your father's, you know, coffee cup that he used that he used for every morning and never put it in the dishwasher? <laughs> you know, there, there's something to be said about you know the seasoning uh, that takes place with you know the the little amounts that you leave behind within the barrel every time you use it, and that those specific flavors that sort of you know, build and build and really become, allow you to have that really unique uh, profile to your products. And, and microbes is one of them. And, and that's, that's huge in the sour, the sour beers. And, you know, there's, um, there's a story I heard about, about a Belgium brewery that, um, you know, so small little side note, the, the microbes and the natural yeast and, and, and bugs within the air around us vary depending on where we are. They're, they're location specific. So, you know, a, a, um, you know, an open air, you know, wild fermented beer in, in one town or one state uh, is going to be different from the one in the next town over or the next state over because the, the yeast and the wild bacteria and bugs in the air are just different. Um, and there was one Belgian brewery that was moving their brewery, mm. I think, literally just across the street or not very far, but they went so far as to take their old ceiling tiles out and install them in the new brewery. So that way they could replicate those same exact bugs, yeast and bacteria uh, in the new brewery. So they didn't get too much of a, of a change in the flavor of their product. Yeah. And I've also heard that story and, and I think it may have actually been Lindemann's, um, uh, but uh, I've, I've also heard that they 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 moved their the ceiling tiles a- into the new place and then sprayed a bunch of wart all over the walls uh, to <laughs> kind of like try to kind of say hey we need to we need to keep you guys going <laughs> you know to basically move their their flock to, uh, across the street. Um, but it's just it, it's uh, yeah th- this this is the level of of artistry that we're talking about and and I don't know that there's much science behind this per se uh, would you would you agree or disagree with that i would both <laughs> and, and i'm going to go back to my comment about the wood you know there's there's so much science behind it but at the same time um you, you have to stop paying attention to the science at some point um you know and 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 you know that reminds me of I, it was a study that I believe Buffalo Trace did going back to the wood and the tree and you know they took a bunch of trees and they made a barrel out of the first log on the tree and they made a barrel out of the second log of the tree and the third log of the tree and then they made a barrel out of all the the limb wood and they they aged in these three these four different barrels to see okay we you know what part of the tree is the best right because science right we have all this science mm-hmm. available to tell us 
which part of the tree makes the most, you know, makes the best uh, barrel and ages the best whiskey. And pretty much at the end of the study, they just finally concluded that, you know what, they, they were going down such a rabbit hole that it just, it, it almost, for lack of better terms, wasn't worth it. Yeah. Um, okay. And that's, and that's, and that's almost, you know, they're, they're just, there are, there are so many variables that the more you try, the more you try and focus on them, then, then the more variables there are. And it almost gets to a point where, where, you, you know, you can't get anything done. <laughs> so, um, and I would argue the same goes for, for the wild beers and the science behind it. And where, where there is a tremendous amount of science that does back a lot of it and gives us a lot of great data. But at the end of the day, Mother Nature is Mother Nature. You can only control so much. You can only learn so much about, about it um, that sometimes you just kind of have to, have to let, uh, let Mother Nature and the unknown take over. Well, yeah, it's kind of like you, you have to let the science go so you can make room for the magic to happen. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, so on the whole vein of, of barrels and barrel aging, um, so I, I'm a home brewer and I just recently, uh, made a Belgian golden strong. I took half the batch and I, uh, took, got some, um, French oak of some fresh virgin freck, uh, French oak chips that were not charred. And I soaked them with, uh, uh, Bel- uh sorry, Brazilian cachaça. And then I aged, um, aged, quote unquote, aged this, uh, Belgian golden strong on these oak chips for two weeks to really bring kind of like a different flavor, different kind of like a nice little sipper. Um, and, and it was delicious and it's different from the base batch, uh, that I, I moved them side by side. Um, so that's one way that, that I know that home brewers can actually get that barrel aged flavor without actually having to make, you know, uh, enough beer to fill the barrel or have to get barrels period. What are other ways that, that, um, uh, home brewers can, can, you know, kind of take advantage of this wood character? So we try our our online warehouse and our our online shopping website uh, barrelsdirect.com. We try over the past couple of years we've recently started to cater towards the home brewers because we saw all these awesome big breweries making these crazy beers that were just delicious and then obviously, you know, as home brewers, you you want to try it out yourself, um but it's pretty hard to fill a 53 gallon barrel. So Yeah. Uh, a number of years ago we started to sort of also cater to the home brewers to get that website really stocked up with a large amount of um, nice, fresh, emptied, used five-gallon barrels, five, 10, and 15-gallon barrels. But we have a decent variety that, that allows that. But obviously, again, uh, you know, a, a barrel is, 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 um, is uh, you know, a, a time investment in itself. So we also provide cubes and chips on there, just like you mentioned, um, toasted, non-toasted, but also we, we provide them as part of our custom aging platform that are seasoned with spirits. Mm. Um, and that's through our fiber infusion technology, which, uh, when you, when you age, you know, bourbon inside of a barrel or anything inside of a barrel for years and years and years, the, the spirit has time to fully penetrate that wood and really interact with all of the compounds and bind to and collaborate with all of the different flavors, tans and compounds inside that wood. Unfortunately, when you soak some chips uh, for a couple days or a couple weeks, you'll you'd be amazed at how little uh, the spirit you're soaking them in truly soaks in and penetrates the wood. Oh, okay. And also, 
um, when you do that, you're actually when it is soaking into the wood, you're ex- you're extracting the flavor of the wood into what you're soaking it in. Mm-hmm. So you're um, uh, uh, was it your Brazilian rum you said that you were aging? Yeah, in? the cachaça. The cachaça. So you essentially were aging your cachaça on oak chips, which is depleting them partially of their flavors in the wood, oh. replacing it with the flavor of the cachaça. And then you're then you're going to put those then you put those into your beer. So you do get the wonderful flavors of of the cachaça, but you are actually limited on what you're getting in terms of wood because you already depleted some of it into the cachaça. Which I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you may have some really nice tasting cachaça now as well. Um but what we try and focus on with our fiber infusion technology, which is a part of our custom aging platform, is this uh, special seasoning of the wood where essentially we are able to infuse these spirits deep, deep into the wood um, in, 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 on, a, on a micro level, um, in, right into the cells of the wood, right into the heart of the wood. So without extracting those precious tannins and compounds. So what it allows, um, and, and, you know, we sell these to home brewers, but the irony is we also have been starting work, working with a lot of um, uh, large-scale, full-scale brewers, distillers, and winemakers who are, who are purchasing these products because it's easier than a barrel. And it still gives you the great flavors a barrel does, um, but that it gives you the full impact of the wood uh, as, you know, as well as w- the toast profile that you know where that whatever if it's a light medium or or heavy toast on the wood or not at all as well as a true and full spirit impact as well so it's it's the best of both worlds really um and uh and it really it's it's what we've been able to develop as the most barrel like character uh you know, into a product without well, using a barrel. Well, and, and I don't know how you are doing that, but you, you suddenly conjured an idea that maybe I need to get out my uh, my Instapot and <laughs> put some put some uh, spirits and some wood chips in there, use the heat and the pressure to kind of infuse that a little bit deeper. But uh, um, but without asking you proprietary knowledge, uh, so you you start talking about um, commercial brewers, and I was going to ask you about that too. That I mean, because th- there's a lot of small commercial brewers that they just don't really have room for more than a couple barrels, but they'd love to have a barrel thing. Um, uh, talk to me about the the difference between you know having some like wood chips like for someone like me versus someone for a small brewer where they they need to try and hit these specs they want to have this um, this barrel program be, so that they can eventually grow and put in a proper barrel program what how does that play out how's that different so you're asking the difference between the wood chips and alternatives versus a barrel? Well, I, I guess, you know, the, um, I think a better question I'd say is how does that scale from homebrew to small commercial that really wants to get into barreling? Sure. So the scalability, um, and actually that's that, that's one of the reasons why um, some of these larger producers are, are, are opting the alternatives. You know, bar- barrels are sexy, and to be able to write barrel aged on your label is is worth its weight right there in ink. And um, but it's sometimes hard. I mean, right now we're in the middle of another barrel shortage. We we went through a pretty significant one back in 2012, and we're going through another one right now. And for those people who depend on a very specific barrel to finish their product in, it could really cause a lot of problems. Um, but 
the alternative side uh, is still in full production and, and there is plenty of it out there. So from a, a continuity standpoint, um, especially with our, our, our custom aging program and the specific seasoning we're able to do, it allows people to scale um, to any size very easily in, in, in great control, quality and consistency. Now, however, if you're looking to go from alternative to barrel, that's also not that difficult because with the alternatives, one of the things that we use in our calculation to determine how much you need is surface area. And it all mm. refers to a barrel. So yeah. we calculate the, the square inch surface area of the product you're getting and how that equates to a 53 or 60 gallon barrel. Um, so then if you are you know just starting out experimenting with some with some cubes or some stave inserts, um, you know, we can, we can do that math. And then you say, okay, now I want to upgrade to an actual barrel. We can, we can do that math based on the volume and based on the, the amount of wood you were using to determine essentially um, what's going to give you uh, the same or a similar uh, profile in your aging. Hmm. Um yeah, I'm sorry. I had a thought of where I wanted to go next, but just for the sake of time, I want to make sure we got plenty of time for the final questions and and not take too much of yours. Um, one thing I really wanted to make sure I get to, because we could talk about using barrels um, for quite a long time, especially for drinking uh, barrel-aged beer. But I think an important thing is... Um, Let's say I've got a brewery and I've got some barrels and I love using them and I'm going to reuse them um, because I love the character that comes out of these neutral barrels that we, like we talked about. But what should breweries and, and brewers understand uh, or know in order to properly maintain their barrels? Uh, so I, I, I've said this once before in front of a bunch of brewers and I got a very large groan from the entire audience. <laughs> Um, but but I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I say it with a bit of irony, and let me explain afterwards. Uh, the worst thing that you can do to a barrel uh, is put beer in it. <laughs> and and the reason, of course, I said this in front of a bunch of brewery, barrel-aged breweries, and it did not go over as 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 I intended it to. Um, I was immediately backpedaling. But but the you know putting beer in barrels makes them delicious beer it's it's wonderful it really is um but the reality is beer has such a low alcohol level that it, it does not keep things sterile hence why every brewer spends most of their time cleaning right clean yes. and cleaning is so important and cleaning barrels is is a hugely uh um uh difficult task uh because of they're so porous so there are so uh, so, so a couple things. Beer has low alcohol, so it it it, it things grow in it, right? Uh, it doesn't. It's not sterile, and it and it's full of stuff. It's full of sugars and carbohydrates and all sorts of stuff that bacteria love. Um, and and therefore, when you get that into a barrel and then you empty the barrel, or or you get some headspace in the barrel and you get some oxygen in the barrel, you get a wonderful breeding ground for bad things that we don't want in our beer, and especially an empty barrel that's now have remnants of the beer in it combined with warmer temperatures and, and oxygen and all this. Um, it's uh, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. So keeping your barrels clean is key. And after you empty a, a good rinse, uh, any, any brewery that is really serious about their aging program, I always highly recommend that they invest and, and, 
barrel aging is an investment, and this is a whole other 20-minute topic I could go off on a tangent on, but barrel aging is an investment, and it's an investment that pays off very well um, when it works. Um, it pays off better than the stock market, and I've got I've got a whole bunch of math that explains that. But anyway, um, to, to really make sure you get the most out of your investment, it's wise to invest in a good quality steam generator so you can steam clean the barrels, which not only helps keep the wood hydrated, but also helps to um, you know neutralize any bad bacteria in them. And then um, you know uh, the another really bad thing for barrels is keeping them empty. Um, you don't want to keep them empty and it's not even really good. I don't even suggest, um, putting holding solutions in them because again, anytime you put liquid in a barrel, you're aging that liquid in a barrel. So yeah. if you fill it full of, a a, you know, uh, um, uh, some sort of holding solution, uh, you're still leaching flavors out of the wood and you're into just the holding solution, you know, like a citric acid holding solution here, you're, you're still leaching flavors out of the wood that you're then just going to dump down the drain. So I always recommend, you know, a good quality steamer, rinse your barrel, steam them well. And then as soon as they're empty, refill them as quickly as you possibly can. And this just goes back to the whole planning phase. And if you don't refill them, you know, make sure you, you steam them regularly, keep them clean. Um, and, uh, and in a, in a nice, happy environment, which is, uh, Keep them cold, keep them cool, uh, in in a somewhat humid environment. Cool, cool, dark, and wet is what they love. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Cool, dark, and wet. And then, and understand that every time you use the barrel, your flavor is going to change because every time you use the barrel, you're 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 losing more and more of the wood compounds, but you still have the 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 profiles that develop from that. Um, you know, the small amounts of oxygen and that general barrel aging and whatever's in the pores of the wood, you still have some really awesome, unique flavors that you're, you're just not going to get elsewhere. So given that, if if a beer is going to uh, change every subsequent time it goes into a barrel, how are those, those breweries that do have uh, excellent uh, barrel programs, how are they using the same barrel over and over again, years and years and years uh, uh, down the road? Well, uh, we're gonna we're talking about two different beers here. If it's a clean beer, they're not. <laughs> um, generally, some of the some of the uh, breweries out there that have, uh, you know, some of uh, really some of the really popular barrel aged beers, um, you know, especially the the bourbon barrel aged beers, for the most part. And and of course, I could be wrong. I don't know how everyone operates, but for the most part, from my experience, they have a very strict regimented barrel aging program, and that's they get fresh barrels in, they put the beer in there for a very specific amount of time, and usually it's not – sometimes it's not always as long as you think it is. It could be mm-hmm. a matter of weeks up to a, a couple months. The beer is then taken out, and the barrel is – is got, it, they, and, they, and they get rid of it. Um, okay. One and done. One and done. That way they maintain the exact same flavor profiles they're trying to get. Because if we now reuse that barrel, we're going to get different flavors out of it. That's one way breweries do it. Another way is what they'll do is they'll blend um, first and second use and possibly third use barrels. So meaning if they have, let's just say, for example, 100 barrels. Well, every every time they empty, you know, maybe they only buy 30 to 50 new barrels or, f- excuse me, freshly emptied bourbon barrels. So that way they're always blending in fresh barrels and then getting a second use out of their other barrels. And then, you know, on the third, uh, second, after the second or third use, the barrel is then discarded. 
Okay. That's another way. And I'm envisioning now, those breweries uh, that where where it's the barrel aging uh, beer is what they are known for. That's their bread and butter. Is, is that kind of what you're focusing on with that last comment? Uh, you know, it, it, it depends on what they're looking for. And okay. It depends on the flavors that they're looking to get out of it. Um, a quick you get, you get a freshly emptied bourbon barrel. A quick, short, you know, two to three month age. You're going to get mostly the the spirit impact. And then as we get into four, five, six, eight months or more, then we're going to start to get into more of the wood impact. So general rule, rule of thumb uh, is, you know, and, and I'm just sort of pulling numbers out of the air a little bit here just to kind of as a rough guide, you know, that that zero to three month aging, of, you know, aging a beer in a bourbon barrel, you're getting mostly spirit impact that three to six months you're starting to pick up some wood impact along with the spirit impact that six to nine nine to twelve months we're starting to lose the spirit impact because it's kind of being rounded out and blended and 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 rolled in with the wood impact and as we get you know that nine to twelve and more we're mostly just dealing with wood impact Hmm. um, in terms of flavor so that's generally kind of how, you know, this is sometimes gauged and it's all in what the, the brewers are looking for um, in, in their beer. And like I said, what what at the end of the day, it's what they're whatever it is they're looking for in which they're put the, proud to put their name on the label. Um, now, when we're talking sour beers and we have barrels that are inoculated with a really nice culture, that's a whole nother story. Oh. Those are the barrels, those are the barrels, then you're right, that those are the barrels that are cherished and, and used over and over and over again for, for a number of years because they're, they've, they've sort of created such a nice little home for the microbes um, that work really well. So they take really good care of the microbes and they try not to evict them and they they use those those same barrels a number of times because of the the positive influences that those those microbes and cultures are are giving their beer. And and for that, you know, what the the breweries that come to mind in that instance for me would be like uh, Rodenbach or Petrus or even uh, Cascade Brewing uh, out in uh, Portland, Oregon, where they're where they are making the sours. And by my understanding, they are using these barrels again and again and again for a very, very long time. So maintenance on those things uh, seem like, you know, that would be uh, paramount. Yeah. And, you know, I think a, a, a great thing to keep in mind is generally when we're making clean beers, we're using the barrel to get the flavors from the spirits and the wood okay. into our into the beer. When we're making sour beers, we're we're now using we're not so much focused on the the flavor of the wood and the spirits, but we're more focused on the fact that those porous wooden barrels make a really nice home for the for the for the microbes and the bugs that are are flavoring our beer essentially. Um, so, so that's kind of the different sort of different viewpoints of looking at it. You know, clean beer, we're using the barrel as an ingredient, uh, a sour beer, we're using the barrel as a, as a vessel and a nice home for the, the bugs that are going to help us, uh, produce, you know, some delicious beer. And it is a perfect ingredient and it is a perfect vessel. And I, I am a huge fan of, of barrel aged beers, um, so much that I'm trying to recreate it in my homebrew. So, um, yeah, this is, this is, I, I, I feel like there's some topics that, uh, that we're missing that we probably should explore at some point when there's more time, but, um, but to be considerate of your time as well. Um, so I've got a few, uh, closing questions for you. Um, 
luckily for you, you won the uh, the lottery, and you get to be king of the entire beer world for a day tomorrow. What's the first thing you would change? Oh, geez, um, that is a that is a weighted question. <laughs> um, you know, I I think. Um, I think the the I think I, I, I would encourage um, I would encourage brewers and brewery owners to make sure that their that their breweries are, are passion driven. Um, you know business is business and money is money um, but one of the things that really drew me into this industry, and I have a background actually in, in I'm a, I have a background as a firefighter and a paramedic. And with that industry, we have such a strong brotherhood of family. It, it's a family, you know, and, and I could walk into any fire station around the U.S. and walk in and say, hey, I'm a firefighter. And they, they, they would say, well, come on in and have a cup of coffee. Tell us about your department. We want to hear all about it, and I'll and, and I'll ask them about theirs and learn from them. And when I when I really started getting into working with brewers, I was I was blown away how it's the same. Uh, it's it's you know there are two breweries right next door to each other, but they're not competitors. But you think they would be, but they're not. They're a family, and they have that you know uh, brotherhood and sisterhood with each other. And that's something that. Um, I, I want to make sure it stays there. I want to make sure that stays strong and that everything that we do as a entire industry around this is passion driven. And it's something that we can all stand behind and be proud of at the end of the day. And Hey, you know what, if we make some money off of it at the end of the day, that's great. We get to keep the lights on, we get to pay the bills and maybe afford to go off on a little vacation. And obviously, you know, that is certainly a necessity, but, but passion is going to get you so much further, um, and and people see that. People see right through that, and and they know um, who who's driven by by passion and dedication. Um, and in the end, uh, that that does them pretty well. So, if I was the king, I'd do everything I could to make sure that um, that that that's kind of the direction that the industry continue to go on. Well, and and uh, that is a fantastic uh, answer to that question, not because I'm pandering to the guest, but I also was a firefighter paramedic, and I, I can I absolutely know exactly what you're talking about. And, and it wasn't just that. I mean, even even as a college athlete, you know, in the in, in in the, you know, in the thick of competition, you are competitors, but afterwards, you're you're basically, you know, you would have been best friends in any other situation. So it's like, you know, we're we're all kind of uh, of the same ilk, so to speak. Yeah. Um, now the the next fun question is: uh, We've discovered life in outer space, and there's a uh, uh, there is a contingency of Martians that are coming to visit, and you get to put on uh, host a, a cultural uh, beer uh, beer dinner with uh, multiple um, courses and pairings. What's the first uh, beer and food course you're going to serve them? To introduce Whoa. them to our beer uh, culture. Oh, um, geez, uh, I would have to say uh, beer and pairing culture. Um, you know, I might catch some shade for this, but let me explain it. 
um, a bush light and a ribeye with no seasoning. That's a first for the Good Beer Matters podcast. But Please a, explain. But a perfectly, <laughs> but a perfectly, but a perfectly cooked ribeye, um, and and uh, because I think uh, that's going to introduce them to uh, um, the delicious uh, uh, steaks that we we have here on Earth, and it's going to show them, um, you know, a, a very uh, basic beer. So that way, as they continue on their journey here, it's a basic, it, it's a delicious unseasoned steak and a very basic beer. It's a delicious beer, but it's a basic beer. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a delicious beer. But my the my point to that would be that as they continue on their journey here on Earth, they're going to then see what we've done with that basic meat and that basic beer and how far we've taken it. And how everyone they meet is going to be putting their own spin on it and changing it with the different ingredients, cooking it a different way, mashing it up into an awesome hamburger. And I think it's going to really open their eyes as to, you know, uh, all the uh, amazing things we've done as humans on this earth and all the different options and variables and stuff we can do. Wow, that was uh, super thoughtful and really dang cool. That... uh... Uh, it, you know, the initial thing uh, was uh, unexpected. That's not what I usually get from the, my guests, but that that was uh, that was like that was legit for sure. Um, so uh, another kind of uh, a, a semi-tough question, but hopefully it should be pretty easy. But how do you define good beer, and why does it matter? I define good beer um, based on how it tastes and i'm not talking about i'm not going to get into crazy beer advocate notes of notes of this or flavor no does it taste good or does it not would you finish the can and have another or would you not and then also um you know it's uh the 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 company culture that it came from um there there is a there there's a lot of spirits and wines and beers out there that i kind of never really thought twice about until I, um, met the makers and I truly got to see and learn the passion that they have and why they did what they did. And that in and of itself opened up their product in in a whole new light to me. Um, and really showed me, you know, how much, how much, how much passion is an ingredient and what it can really do um, to a product, um, especially when the consumer really understands that and knows that and knows knows not only what they're drinking, but why they're drinking it. Mm, excellent. Excellent. I like that one too. Um, for anyone who wants to take one of your classes or just learn more about barrels or connect with you for whatever reason, uh, where can they go to uh, connect with you all at uh, River Drive? Sure. So uh, riverdrive.com or www.barrelsdirect.com. Barrelsdirect.com is not only our online warehouse, but we have a tremendous amount of free resources on there. All sorts of um, information about barrels, barrel aging. There's some information about the classes that we offer. Um, We do private classes uh, now that we're kind of, I think, coming out of COVID, maybe, question mark. Um, We're going to start hosting some more here as well as hosting them around the country. If you've got a bunch of brewers that want to take a a full Cooperage course, I'm happy to come to you and do it. 
or if you've got a local brewers guild that is hosting a annual event um, and seminar, I'm always always happy to to come and, and teach a, a, a session or a class there. So barrelsdirect.com is a good start, and you can get a hold of us through there as well. Yeah, right on. And uh, finally, do you have any calls to action or any final words of wisdom for anyone listening? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a crazy world we live in now, especially with um, uh, the the great barrel shortage of 2022. Uh, and um, uh, but we're still out there. You know, we're still doing everything we can to s- still get our hands on some pretty awesome stuff, and also continue to push the limits of barrel aging. And you know, we love working in partnership with our customers. So. Uh, there's something that you can't find, something you're looking for, a, or a wild and crazy idea you have for barrel aging or, or along those lines, um, hit us up. Uh, let me know. Matt at riverdrive.com is my email. Pretty easy to remember. And um, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to work with you. And um, I just want to keep keep pushing the limits of beer and making some great things and um, having fun. Well, I, I've got to say that, I mean, I, and I think you and I will kind of agree on this, but I mean, we love beer. Beer is amazing in, in so many different ways, but there's something about barrels that's just really, really cool. And this whole discussion and learning everything you had to share, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna age myself with this comment, but it was super rad. So thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast and sharing all this knowledge about uh, barrels. I, I, I appreciate it immensely. I had a great time and I look forward to working with you some more and we can definitely get some more awesome stuff out there. And I look forward to hearing from people listening to this, um, you know, shoot me your questions. Um, I'm always happy to lend, lend, a, lend a hand and offer some advice, um, solicited or not, um, or some terrible dad jokes, always good for those. Um, but uh, I've had fun and I look forward to, uh, to working with you some more. Awesome. Gotta love the dad jokes. Thank you. <laughs> not a problem. Thanks. If you're a home brewer or small commercial brewer that hasn't explored barrel or wood aging, it's time to start. This is a tradition that spans millennia and there's no sign of it stopping yet. So go grab a barrel aged beer and taste the history, science, and art in your glass. In the next episode, we put all these lessons together and discuss recipe development with a master of both wild and crafted ingredients. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.